And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm only slightly taking the piss here. If Kane was like 10 or 20% less good, teams would be like, well, how on earth are we going to create chances? We're going to have to play attacking football. But because Kane is so good, he finds himself playing in defensive teams. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined by The Athletic's Tim Spears and Jack Pitt-Brook today. Jack, of course, does a sort of Superman-style costume change during the international breaks to become England correspondent for The Athletic. Um, oh, in the course of this episode, we'll be talking about the House versus internationals, including England's Kane and Dyer got on over the uh, international break. Uh, plus, we've got a, it's a year to the day. Uh, since uh, Nuno's North London Derby disaster class, disaster festival, I'd put it. But we should start, of course, with the most viral Spurs-related content over the last week. I hope you've all seen it. Mourinho's cameo in Stormzy's newest video. Okay, I prefer not to speak like I'm Jose. So I prefer really not to, um, not to speak. If I speak, I am in, in big trouble. You've seen it, Tim. It's absolutely astonishing. Who asked who? That's what I want to know. Did Mourinho approach Stormzy and ask to be in his video, or was it the other way around? I'd be keen to know that. The Tottenham connection with grime music and all the rest of it. Um, we wonder um, where do they, where would they meet? I mean, in the old days, it'd be Harringay Dog Track, wouldn't it? They were there watching the Greyhound racing, saw each other, hail fellow, well met, and the next thing you know, Jose Mourinho's in the video. Have you seen it, Jack? I have seen it. Yeah, I'm surely surely Stormzy wrote the song with the Mourinho sample in, yeah, and then subsequently got got Mourinho to come and appear in the video. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 to me, I, it looks like Mourinho in this case. I've got you know, you got to speak as you find. Looks like he's a great sport. Yeah, yeah, but he's loving it. He's loving it. Can you think of another example of a manager being sampled in music or appearing in a music video? This is definitely one that we need listeners to write in on because yeah, I can't the, think of any yeah, example. Yes, this is one we would normally need six weeks of research, but you're asking a top five. And head. you can't have you can't have you know what no they don't songs. It has to be it has to be stuff that isn't written for the football market. Um, no, I mean you'd have to go back to Adrian Sherwood's um, work with the Barmy Army in the eighties when pretty I'm pretty sure people um, West Ham managers will have been. Um, and England managers will have been sampled into that. But it, it's a long, long time ago. And certainly the idea, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, he's got a lot of other people in a very poshly appointed room. Uh, I suppose these days, I don't know the word, it would in the past have been a massive or a posse, but I don't know what today's troop is called. Um, and he mentions Jose Mourinho, and then one of the people in the room turns to the camera and is the aforementioned former Spurs manager. Um, very nice indeed. The only thing I can think of that's sort of half comparable is, I don't know if you remember, you know the song Heartbroken by T2? Yeah. Uh, Micah Richards and Anton Ferdinand are in the video for that. 
Yeah, that's good, but they're not sampled. They're not managers. They? No, and they're not. They're managers. not sampled, and they're not managers either. Right. Well, this is definitely. But it's genuinely them in the video. It's not like a clip of them playing football. No, like they appear as characters in the no, video. No, they're in there. All right. Listen, this is definitely one for for our army myriad of uh, downloaders, subscribers, and listeners. If you can think, um, you'll have to t- tweet to me or Jack or to Tim on Twitter. If you can think of a, another example before we move on from Jose Mourinho's appearance in the Stormzy video. Can uh, you think of any any managerial quotes that you would like to be sampled in a song? Of course. We'll have all of that, please. You know that we're all on Twitter. So send us the, the and the best ones we'll put on, we'll talk about in the next edition of The View from the Lane. One of my mates once, um, who does a bit of DJing, made a... Uh, he made a track which was built around the uh, Kevin Keegan I Would Love It rant. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of samples bits of the, I mean, I'm sure it's probably not, uh, I don't know if it infringes IP laws, so probably can't play it on the show. But he's met, he's kind of built a track around the I Would Love It rant. But obviously that's different from like, he just did that for, for a laugh I'd, I'd rather still, than being I'd, like commercially published music. I mean, this was no part of the original um, ideas we had for this show, but I would still include that. I mean, I'm, I'm prepared to go pretty wide here, and I will also accept people reminding us in a kind of reverse of this um, that the uh, mighty fall, as John Peel has uh, insisted we always call the fall, um, their video for their song Kicker Conspiracy um, includes the band in the dugouts at Berry's Old Ground at Gig Lane. Um, so there's musicians in managerial roles, and we need man- managers in, mus- in musicians' roles. I was at Isle of Wight Festival in the summer um, watching Kasabian. Were you indeed? And it was it was at the end of a very a very long day of drinking, Danny. And then uh-huh. all, all of a sudden, Peter Crouch appeared on the stage, and I I, <laughs> I, 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 I wondered what I've been drinking, to be honest. But that that was that was a pretty good cameo. He was all right. He, he fitted in. He fitted in quite well. I mean, he um, did he did he like do the vocals on Club Foot or something? He was it was at the end of Fire. Um, no, I don't think he did vocals. He, he just kind of stood up, you know, with, with his arms in the air and just got everyone clapping. You know, he does. And then he just started moshing on his own, which was, was just quite a sight. I mean, this, the, all of this discussion is so astonishing to me in one way, at least. It's impossible now to tell young people how unfashionable football was in the mid 80s. I mean, it really, you could not speak about it because of the, the violence, the racism on the terraces, all those things. You couldn't speak about football in polite society, certainly not in creative society. And so much so that I remember myself and my enemy colleague, Adrian Thrills, we saw the wedding present, the indie band performing with Leeds United silk scarves tied off the end of their guitars. And then the house Martin said something about football. That was enough that we were able to write a piece saying, maybe football's coming back. I mean, it really was astonishing how, how if you were in any way hip or groovy, um, no way could you you could you admit to being a football supporter, um, except me because I'm not hip and groovy. And now we're we can we we're off the top of our heads now. We're now we're just lamping tennising back and forth examples of the, the interaction between bands and footballers. It wasn't always so. Let me tell you that. Let's uh, let's talk then about um, the internationals. So you've been watching them on behalf of the Athletic. Um, uh, Jack, what did you make, first of all, of England's Spurs men? I mean, another goal for Kane and Dyer, I'm guessing, probably playing himself into the World Cup squad? Yeah, so to take Kane first, I thought Kane was really good yesterday. Um, I thought he, 
to be honest, he was probably the best of a pretty bad bunch in uh, in Milan on Friday night. He had, had a England's shot at goal, for God's sake. He had England's <laughs> only two shots on goal. England had a single shot on goal for the first 75 minutes of the game. And then Kane had two in about 10 seconds uh, on Friday night in Milan. Um, but overall, I thought England were really poor that day and didn't really create anything at all. Last night at Wembley, uh, I thought Kane was good. Like, he was really... He really kind of took the fight to Germany in the second half. The way he led the line, he kind of drove forward with the ball. His hold-up play was really good. He got in good shooting positions, um, which is always a sign that he's kind of on top of his game. And he scored a, fan- a really, really good penalty. You know, I was Under wondering... tremendous pressure as well, given what yeah, happened yeah, in really the team. Yeah. And, you know, if, if, if Nick Pope hadn't spilt that shot at the end, then people would have been talking about the famous 3-2 comeback. They would have compared it to the, you know, the famous Argentina friendly in Geneva in 2005, perhaps. And, you know, Kane's penalty would have capped that all off. So Kane, I thought, really, really good. Dyer, you know, this is Dyer's first England game for, I think, two years. It is two years, and, yeah. And... Um, what I think was really, really encouraging for Dyer, I think we play, I thought he played fine in both games, but I thought what was really encouraging is in the first game he played in his normal, you know, played in his normal position because John Stones was suspended. So he came in, played in the middle of the back three, and at that point I thought, well, he's just in as kind of backup for he's the, he's kind of supplanted Connor Cody as the backup to John Stones in the middle of the three. But then last night. Stones came back in and I assumed, like a lot of people, that Stones would play in the middle of the back three and Dyer would be on the bench. But instead, Dyer kept his place in the middle of the three and Stones played on the right of the three in what's traditionally been the role that Kyle Walker's played for England. And, you know, Stones is a different player from Walker. He gives you something different in that role. But the fact that Southgate, in his last game before the World Cup, found a way to play Dyer and Stones together... And, you know, it actually didn't last that long because Stones went off with a hamstring injury in the first half. Mm-hmm. That made me think, well, maybe he is thinking about starting Dyer against Iran or certainly wants the option of starting Dyer in the World Cup. Um, so, so yeah, really, really positive for Dyer as well. Yeah. I should make the point that that's um, 51 goals. Everyone knows that figure for Harry Kane. 45 under Southgate. Um, he now has more goals. Under, I mean, talk about being dependent on one player at the England team. He has um, more goals than the next four goal scorers under Southgate combined, they being Raheem Sterling, obviously, Marcus Rashford, Harry Maguire, and uh, Lingard, Jesse Lingard. Um, So he he just continues to stretch away from the field. What did you make of the Spurs players in England games, Tim? I find it interesting how Dyer has gone from complete outcast to probably in, in the first eleven, like 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 Jack has said there. It's I, a sign I, of the confusion in the England manager's mind, in my opinion. It is, although I think we should we should commend him for not being as stubborn as he is on certain issues and actually and actually bringing him into the fold at, at what is a really late stage. Um, and I guess with Kane, I guess Kane's night for me was was defined by two facial expressions. One when he looked completely aghast with Phil Foden, looked like he wanted to hit him on the head. Um, when he didn't play that pass to him in the in the first half, it came was about six yards out, and it's just such a basic uh, pass. It would have been it would have been one nil at the time, right? And then the way he struck that penalty, I mean, as Jack says, it was a magnificent, completely unsavable penalty. But it was it was struck with real feeling, and that celebration, you know, I know it's, I know it's essentially a dead rubber last night, but that really meant something. I felt like a lot of pressure on his shoulders was sort of lifted by that. And um, yeah, it's the first England game I've probably watched in some time, and I, I I thought Kane was I thought Kane was very good. The team weren't that bad either. In comparison to what they produced against Italy, they were really, really good. Now, this is the place... I thought that was their best England... I thought that was England's best performance all year. 
which is even though they were you know they were pretty patchy yesterday and I mean they were two 0 down and really staring down the barrel and yet they've been so bad in the last few months that I think it, it probably the best I think it's probably the best they've played since they won that when they won four 0 in Budapest uh, in about August September of last year after the Euros and that's probably the best they've played since then. Do you think do you think Dyer only plays in a, in a three Jack or do, does he come and take attention in a two especially with Maguire's form? I th- I think in a sense it's irrelevant because I think Southgate's now committed to the three. But if he were to play the back four, I don't know. I don't know what Gareth... I don't think Gareth Southgate knows what his best centre-back combination is no. if he plays a four. Because, you know, Dyer... I mean, Dyer hasn't really played in the back four for ages. And so, it would be, you know, Maguire... I mean, Maguire's a very difficult player to select, I think, at the moment. Stones is good, but has done his hamstring yesterday. Um, Cody, you know, again, has as you, you know better than me, has a reputation for only being able to play in a three. And then, I mean, he's not he's not even looked at Tamori and Gahey this break. No, so if he goes if he goes four at the back, it, it'll be Stones and Maguire. Uh, suck on that, so. England fans. But the problem is that I mean, one of the many reasons he doesn't like playing the four with Maguire is that there's no you know he likes that extra recovery pace of Walker to kind of mop up in behind Maguire and Stones. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately I think it's moot because I think it'll be a three in, in Qatar. But um, yeah. let's wait and see. Now, listen, this is the part of the show where um, uh, people are going to say I'm a stuck record. but And also, of course, um, famously on The View from the Lane, our job here is to make sure that things we said in the past are validated by events in, re- in, in recent memory. Um, I just want to say this. Um, in one way, I feel very sorry for Harry Kane. He currently plays for the most defensive team in the Premier League and the most defensive major team in, your, in, in European football. Um, and yet, the lesson of yesterday for Antonio Conte, once again, and this is just me, and he's paid more than me, is, you know, have a go. You've got really good forward players. Have a go in these games. And it's not just... I mean, I suspect the players, rather than Southgate, decided they were going to pile forward once they went 2-0 down. Maybe the substitutions helped. I don't know. All I know is that England looked, just looked so much better when they weren't concerned about... When, they, when their only concern wasn't defending their goal, but when they were thought the second half of the game, getting goals um, was just as important. And I, I wish Antonio Conte would, would understand this as well. I, 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 it's, it's heartbreaking to me to see squads and teams with lots and lots of forward power hobbling themselves. And the, and the, and the issue, Tim, is for me, not just technical and tactical, because I'll leave that. To the uh, to the people who are getting paid a quarter of a million pound a week to, to whatever it is they're getting to do it. The issue is this, and this they can't they can't come back at me of this. The managers, if you don't try to be positive, then you lose the game. If you do lose the game, you are left wondering what might have been, and that is a terrible thing. That's a waste of potential. If you don't have a go, how can you know what you might have achieved? It's kind of written that that'll be the script in the winter as well, isn't it? Because that's what seems to happen at most major tournaments. I mean, it, it was kind of helped by circumstances, obviously being 2-0 down in the game and having to go on the front foot. But they do look so much better when they play with a bit of intensity and a bit of passion and a bit of sort of Premier League style. But I just don't see, I don't see it happening. I don't think any of us expect that to happen. Gareth Southgate, obviously a, a pragmatist. But when you've got players like Jude Bellingham picking the ball up and not playing it back to the keeper, 
you know, skipping past a, a midfield challenge and playing forward passes. He looked fantastic once he uh, decides yeah, to go you know, forward. I'd, I'd, I'd love him to build the team around Bellingham, but, you know, it's 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 it's, it's not going to happen. I think Gary Lineker made a really good point last night, kind of saying, you know, when England are trying to cover their defensive deficiencies, they don't look a very good team. But when they go on the, they go on the attack and play to their strengths, they, you know, they do look a good team. I think it's funny that South, that, sorry, that Kane has found himself in a kind of comparable situation at both teams, mm-hmm. which I think, in part, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think in part it's because it's because he's so good. Oh, exactly, of course. Because it's because Kane is so good that managers think I don't have to take any risks here. We can we can play it. We can stay in our own half. We can play back. We can play a back three. We can give the opposition the ball, all in the knowledge that Harry Kane is so good. If we just give him like a tiny little bit of the ball. Well, actually, not even in their box, but you know, in in in, in their half near the centre circle, he'll make something happen. He'll play a brilliant pass. So if Kane was, if Kane was like, if Kane was, I'm I'm only I'm only slightly taking the piss here. If Kane was like ten or twenty percent less good, then maybe t- teams would be like, well, how on earth are we going to create chances? We're going to have to play attacking football. But because Kane is so good, he finds himself playing you, a defensive you, team. I mean, I've, I've worked you long enough now to know, um, Jack. You've got your slightly, um, I can disown this later comedy voice on, but the truth of the matter is yeah, you're yeah, exactly yeah. right. Um, for, for Kane and Son, read Kane and Sterling. The idea is that we'll play, we'll play nine at the back and hope that those two can produce something out of the ordinary and win the game. Okay, so th- so th- that's this is actually the point where I slightly disagree with you because I think that Ke- I I actually think that the closest thing that England could have ha- had to Son is not Sterling but Rashford. Oh yeah, no, I, I know, Rashford I know, but he's not the team currently. That's all. Like yeah, Son. yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and actually, I think that one of the problems we've had in the last year or so is that Sterling just isn't quite. I mean, St- Sterling isn't as good as Son. Ultimately, he doesn't. He's not. He's not as natural a finisher. I don't think. Um, whereas if if England had Kane and if England had Rashford, who obviously his form has gone off a cliff over the last few years, then Rashford might be able to be more like that kind of son role. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like the you know if you because of the way that the team is is built, it's all about you know can we get the ball to Kane? Then either he'll score or he can play a part of somebody else who can score. Yeah, it, it, it's and it also should make the point that penalty takes us and there's not enough there's not being said enough said about this I mean I don't understand look it's obvious there's club rivalry and there is the absolute bullshine that gets written on Twitter um, and Instagram and all the rest of it I don't understand the lack of uh, national joy of, about Harry Kane um, but that 50 that that goal again means that he is in my opinion it, it's not no he, unless God forbid injury intervenes he is going to break the England all-time goal-scoring record and Tottenham's incredible... All- Other clubs have all-time goal-scoring records, but they're in the 80s and 90s. He's going to break Jimmy Greaves' record and Wayne Rooney's record within weeks of each other. It's extraordinary what he's doing. I, 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 I don't feel like a big enough deal is made out of it. I exactly. don't know if it's because Rooney broke, broke, it, broke it fairly recently or, or if you say if, it, if it's a bit of a thing about Kane. But, I mean, his, his goals-per-game record... Apart, apart from Jimmy Greaves in like in like the top five six of England goal scorers, it's miles better than anyone else. I, I you know, I, I'm I'm really excited about him breaking the record and his age as well. He's, he's even he's not even no, he's 29, yeah. So yeah, I, I I don't know why that is, but maybe it's because Rooney broke it recently and it's less of a big deal. But I think it's it's an absolutely phenomenal achievement. If you look at Kane, I mean Kane's. What's amazing about Kane's goal scoring record for England is that if you know England have had great strikers who came into the team as teenagers 
Uh, you know, Owen and Rooney are the obvious too. They came into the team as teenagers. They scored a lot of goals. Then as they got into their 20s, they slowed down. Kane didn't really start scoring goals for England until he was in his early 20s. I mean, he didn't even start really scoring goals for Tottenham until he was in his 20s. So it's all been incredibly recent. But the rate at which, since he started scoring goals, the rate at which he's scored goals for England has been incredible. But if you kind of extrapolate from that, and continue and think, like, how many, how old is Kane? How long is he going to keep playing for England? How many games is he going to keep playing for England? Like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be a brilliant mathematician to project that he's going to destroy that record. Oh, he's going to. He's not just going to stop at fifty-five. Oh no, he, he's, he's going. He's, he's, I think he's going to end up with something like seventy he's, England he's goals, going, eighty going England to, goals. With, with, to put the um, view from the lane view on it, he's going to run up Robbie Keane-style numbers for international goals. He's going to be in the mid seventies. Yeah. It's going to be extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and I said, look, um, look, look at Tim's little smile there because he's a former Wolves player as well. Look at that. <laughs> How lovely to see that. Oh, I do love a Robbie Keane. <laughs> oh, oh, of course. And then the celebration and the, the the poorly executed gymnastic moves and all the rest of it. What a man he is. Okay, let's move on then um, from the England players. A lot of other Spurs players have been in international action. Um, I'll rattle through these, but of course, uh, both Tim and Jack are welcome to jump in so that I know what's going to happen here. I think this section is going to last two minutes. I'll see you all in an hour when we've had 15 minutes <laughs> on each of these. Um, in the really, really competitive fight to be Brazil's a forward player, centre-forward striker, whatever they're going to call him um, in the World Cup, Richarlison has gone... Um, to the head of the queue, I suspect. He got two goals in Brazil's 3-0 um, win over Ghana on Friday. Um, one of them, yet another trademark Richarlison header. Um, and with Gabriel Jesus not being even in the squad, um, and I don't want to be riling up Gabriel Jesus at this particular weekend, do I? I suspect Richarlison is now a favourite to start for Brazil. Here's one I do want to talk about. I haven't kept a, I bet I bet Jack has kept an exact count on the number of free kicks Harry Kane has scored has taken since he last scored from one, which was like seven years ago, wasn't it? It must be well into the hundreds. Was it Aston Villa away twenty fourteen? That's what I think. November I think seven years ago, eight years ago, yeah. Eight, coming up to eight years, eight years in November. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Son I don't I don't have a running count, sadly. No, well let's let's call it four hundred free kicks for the sake of argument. Um meanwhile, Son captaining South Korea, scored again from a free kick. That's three in his last four internationals. Lovely shot. You know exactly the distance I'm talking about, about eight yards outside the penalty area. Goalkeeper might as well have got into the crowd to applaud with them when the ball went in because he had no hope whatsoever. It's such an aesthetically satisfying free kick. Yeah. Like, I love the way that... The way that Son, I mean, it actually looked like the, the way that he hits those finishes sometimes, you know, in open play. But yeah. the way he kind of runs onto the ball, opens his body, and the curve. whips the whips the ball, you know, it's uh, he's such a. I can't really remember. I mean, I can't really remember another player who has who looks so graceful when he strikes the ball like that. And both feet, of course, which is which. Yeah, which and both gives feet. the yeah, goalkeepers yeah. <laughs> a real problem and the defenders. But what to do? How do you tell Harry when he stood over the, the ball, usually telling Eric Dyer to stand down? <laughs> How do you tell him, I'm, I am the best free kick taker at the club um, and I, I must take this free kick because we might score a goal? So in the last uh, five seasons, uh, in terms of direct free kicks, Spurs have scored four. Um, Jack, you'd be a better place than me to know who they were. Southampton lead the way on 14 anyway, thanks to Mr. Ward-Prowse. Wait, hold on a second. Um, Spurs have scored four direct free kicks in the last five Direct years. free kicks since 2017, yeah. Did Ericsson score one at Norwich Christmas 2019? 
I'm going to cheat. You know what? I'm going to Google this and cheat because it's. And I don't care if listeners know that I'm no, cheating. No, it's, it's so it's humiliating. Not a quiz. To it's not, not like when you're doing the quiz and you're cheating. It kind of is a quiz. It kind of is a quiz. It is. It's turning into a quiz. I'm going to cheat. I've got it. I've got it. Right. Yes. Any guesses then? Yeah, Ericsson at not at Carrow Road, Christmas 2019. Doesn't say when they scored them, but Ericsson scored two of those four. Uh, yeah, I actually can't remember what the other one was. Who else could possibly have... I mean, did Son take one and score? Son took one and scored. Yeah. Sorry again, I don't know who against. No. And who were the other one? And it's not Kane, the other one, no? No, it's not Kane. None of Dyer's blasted efforts have ever gone through the wall and scored, have they? So there was a Son free kick against Watford, but that was like that kind of doesn't really count because he wasn't... I'm not sure he was trying to score. But, I mean, technically it counts. Right. Tim, to, to save the listeners listen to a load of silence and so I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not as good as you, Danny, hosting a quiz. I think that, I think that's very apparent. Um, but the answer is, is Kieran Trippier. Oh, Trippier. Trippier. Yeah. I don't remember that That makes sense, doesn't it? I don't remember the goal either. Um, should All right, I'm going to go around the room very quickly, starting with you, Tim, because you're new. Should Son be taking the free kicks for Spurs? Uh, from what I've seen, yeah, absolutely. I don't know why. Don't Jack? Know why Obviously, yes. Yeah, and the answer is yes, isn't it? And I want to see that starting um, in North London at the weekend. Have you got any updates on the uh, reasons why Romero and Lloris um, didn't play for their respective countries? Well, so Lloris pulled out with a thigh injury um, and there has been no update uh, since then. I don't think there will be an update until Antonio Conte's press conference, which is on Thursday afternoon, at which point I think we'll know a bit more. Romero, I believe, had a, there was a visa issue. There always is with him, being- isn't there? With him being part of the Argentina squad, which I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have to, I must admit, I'm just going on based on what I've read on this rather than my own reporting, is that he, it was to do with, I guess, the Home Office was shut on the bank holiday for the Queen's funeral, which meant they were unable to issue Romero with the visa or the travel permit that he needed uh, to to uh, to travel to go and play for Argentina. Played, I think, Honduras. And maintain that unbeaten run and scalone. Three years. Three years they've not been beaten. Yeah, 34 um, games. Yeah. Christian's travel arrangements, as we know from the COVID period, are a ramshackle at best. Um, but So hopefully he's not injured. I have to say, it's probably the AFA's fault rather than his fault. You know, you can't... It's not really... At this, at this day and age, it's not really down to footballers to do anything really apart from play football. A huge armies of people are employed to help footballers get around the world. So... Whenever a footballer runs into a problem with this kind of thing, you know, I think there's always going to be somebody else who's dropped the ball rather than the player himself. But I think with Charleston and Romero, it's so interesting because they're like we know, you know, in Europe, we watch a lot of European football. I think we've all got a pretty a pretty good idea how good England, Germany, France, Spain, Holland, Italy, Belgium are. But really, like, we've got no idea how good Brazil and and Argentina are relative to those European I teams. I do, they actually. Never, they haven't be, played European teams. Because of another, teams. another job I do, I'm in constant touch with Tim Vickery and Tim... Uh, yeah, but Danny, they haven't played any no, European they teams, haven't. so we've only seen them within Hang that... Hang on, Argentina, kind of Argentina murdered European champions Italy at Wembley, didn't they? Well, five. Uh, that's they true, ran yeah. five past yeah, them. In a weird game. It was a weird game, but that's fair to say. Tim, who, uh, Tim Vickery, for those who don't know, is the expert on South American football, and... He is genuinely excited for the, in the first time in the 20 years I've worked with him um, about the prospect of a South American team winning the World Cup. 
um, yeah, in, yeah. in Qatar. He thinks he thinks I'd love that to he happen. He thinks Brazil uh, have got every chance, and Argentina believe they've got every chance. Though um, I do the continued presence of Nicolas Otamendi in the back four gives me a pause for thought, shall we say? Um, yeah. was a- and another football. Jo- uh, I'm not sure I should name him or not, but I was, another football journalist I was chatting to yesterday said he thinks that Brazil are super favourites for the World Cup because they're. You know, they, their form is so good. They're so good on paper and everything. Like I, I would love to agree with him. I'd love Brazil to be really, really good. But it's just, it's such. It feels like it's such a, a kind of shot in the dark at the moment yeah. predicting Brazil and Argentina or anything in, the World in this Cup. World Cup because of where it falls in the season of the the what the climatic conditions are going to be like and all the rest of it. It is very, very difficult to predict. Brazil have a load of really good forwards and uh, the manager picks straightforward defenders at the present moment. That's why Tim thinks they've got a good balance. There was a lovely moment in the under-21 international in which three Spurs players started bringing against Italy. Um, Oliver Skip, Sessegnon um, started, and Jed Spence. And halfway through, at half-time, Italy changed their team and Destiny Adogi came on to play left side of their midfield, left side of their defence. Um, he's up against directly up against Jed Spencer for most of it but I'm not sure of course because he just came over to London had his medical went back to play for Udinese for another season I'm not sure he's been introduced to the Spurs players because he hadn't been on the pitch 30 seconds before Oliver Skip legged him straight up in the air um, I don't know if they know each other but it was a brilliant Spurs moment when Adogi sat on the surf looking at Oliver Skip they obviously didn't know each other um, but they're going to have to get used to each other next season that was fun Meanwhile, Ivan Perisic helped Croatia secure their place in next summer's UEFA Nations League finals. 3-1 win over Austria on Sunday. He got an assist for the second goal, um, which make the point that Croatia finished top of that group, uh, A1, narrowly ahead of uh, Hoiberg's Denmark. who ran them close by securing a 2-0 victory over France, a team incidentally as confused as England just now. That was on Sunday. Hoiberg played the full 90. And Bentancur... Um, a poor performance by Uruguay, although they had a lot of chances, I'm told. Um, they, lost, they lost 1-0 to Iran, um, but it was his 50th cap for Uruguay. And if you look at his age, he's another one who's going to be kind of getting north of 100 caps unless something really strange happens either to him physically or to the makeup of Uruguay's midfield. I mean, how old is Benton Coeur? He's, he's, he's mid-20s. 23? Yeah, he's, he's not even 25 years of age. He's got, he's got 50 caps. For Uruguay. Yeah, that's amazing. Listen, when we t- well, we'll take a little break now from the international stuff. And when we come back, um, we'll discuss the North London derby in two ways. We will start to put our toe into what might actually happen in what is now become just another huge NLD. Um, though, of course, we'll save the big preview for the next podcast where the game will be virtually on top of us. But it's also uh, almost a year to the date as we're doing this. But it's a year this week. Um, when uh, Spurs lost 3-1 at the Emirates. Um, it was a, a, an absolute disaster um, of a performance by Spurs, and I was calling for Nuno Espirito Santo to be sacked at half-time. Um, and I wish that in those days they didn't have those little bubbly things on Twitter which allow you to start your own programme. I'd I'd, now I'd have been on there at half-time with three people in a little room together, going, he's got to go, he's got to go. That's all coming up next here on The View from the Lane, where you're listening to me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook, and Tim Spears. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Two tribes, one manner, no compromise. Arsenal have to beat Spurs. Spurs have to beat Arsenal. Today, there is nothing else. Okay, Saka. Teasing Reguilon. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Tim Spears and Jack Pitbrook are with me, thankfully. Otherwise, it'd be a very dull fair indeed. Um, the North London derby, depending on whether you support Spurs or not, if you're if you're a neutral, I guess it's a huge game at the top of the Premier League. Um, if you support either of the two teams, it's just another of the biannual... Is that the right word? Is that twice a year or is that every two years? I think it's right. Biannual game that you wish would go away. It is, of course, the anniversary as well this week. Um, of the last time the two teams met at the Emirates. Spurs got beaten 3-1. It might have been 10-1. Um, it was the really, spiritually at least, the the end for Nuno Espiritu Santo. I would have personally, and I said this on the on the podcast, when I was a mere stripling on this uh, this platform, um, I would have sacked him at half-time. You can't have that sort of performance in the North London derby. Jack, what are your memories of that game? Well, it's funny you should say that because I, I actually, I mean, look, I know that Nuno lasted another seven games, but it's it's not, you know, Daniel Levy would not have put the first call into Antonio Conte's camp after the Manchester United game. Put it like that. I I think it's I believe that Levy probably started to yeah, I think Levy probably started to explore the possibility of getting Antonio Conte to change his mind and take the Tottenham job. After this game, because you know this was Tottenham's third league defeat on the spin, it was they were so awful that you, I remember I remember sitting there watching it, thinking I can't believe that this is this bloke's fifth league game in charge of Tottenham. It feels like you know this feels like 
Pochettino, November 2019. It feels like Jose Mourinho, March, April 2021. It feels like the end of something. And it was the yeah, end of something was. because he got he got sacked like a month later. But they were so all You know, if you watch enough football, you kind of realise that, you know, when a team is that bad, there must be like... It's because something is fundamentally broken. Like they were... It was so easy for Arsenal to get in every time. It was compl- unclear really what Tottenham were trying to do. They had no midfield. They couldn't build up the ball at all. You know, they had kind of... They had Delian and Dombele in the midfield three. Um, pushed quite far think up of, as if they were going to kind of go long. Think about that. And then they were... Delhi and leaving Dombele. Leaving the, leaving the uh, you know, leaving the, leaving the entire middle section of the pitch... There for Odegaard and I think it was who basically ran the game and you know was able to get the ball in space every single time. So yeah, an utterly, utterly disastrous. Frankly, I think three, three one kind of flattered yeah, Tottenham a bit. It absolutely did, given how bad they were. Tim, um, we'll talk. Uh, I mean, I don't expect you, except that you, you, you know, knew no better than Jack arrived from your time covering um, Wolves. Uh, I, I guess the, the painful thing here was for people like me who just never thought it was a sensible appointment. Um, it was a kind of confirmation bias thing, that, that, but, but don't but don't be confirming my suspicions in the North London derby. And I don't know what Nuno was like at Wolves, but that afternoon as well, he stood on the about a yard inside the edge of the technical area and stared across the halfway line uh, at Arsenal. It, it didn't even. You don't, I don't believe in the hysterics that managers do, but, but just standing there staring across the pitch while a disaster unfolded, um, I just I just didn't know what the, was going through the fella's mind. It's interesting you say that because he was always he was always very animated at Wolves from minute one to minute ninety and sort of prowling the edge of his technical area. But when Wolves were losing two one, I think it was or three two to West Brom at home uh during the pandemic season i remember for the last 20 to 30 minutes of the game he just sat in his dugout and stared and did it's nothing the staring really and, and got that, to and... me i gotta be honest yeah <laughs> i think when, when he's staring you know the game's up um i remember i remember watching the game and it's such a non nuno performance it's his team's generally characterized by being hard to beat and by defending the midfield even at porto when when you when you expected to beat you know 18 of 20 teams in the league every single week uh, he tended to win one nil, and his teams are hard to beat. So yeah, that kind of that that team selection and the way that they play just smacks of a manager who whose whose brain was fried, to be honest. And having spoken to people who are close to him, you know, since since his short lived tenure was over, um, that's how they describe it. That um, that he'd, he'd lost the dressing room or never really had the dressing room fairly early on. Struggled to manage that squad. Struggled to manage those sort of top big name personalities, big characters. You know, at Wolves, he sort of famously never. Really liked players with egos. I mean, he was offered Diego Costa when he was when he was Wolves head coach. He never would have signed Diego Costa as an example. You know, a big personality is going to challenge him. So when he found all these personalities in the dressing room at Spurs, he just he didn't know how to to handle it. And and don't get me wrong, I don't entirely blame. I mean, the players got to take their their their, their lumps as well. You 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 can't go yeah. out there in, in North London derby and um, be five percent less effort than Arsenal are producing um, because you know that, that's just not acceptable. I think Tim makes a really interesting point there, which is the fact that Nuno, Nuno couldn't really be himself at Tottenham, and he, I think, clearly, I think he would he would have liked, or it would have been more natural to him to come in and play the kind of football that he played at Wolves, but equally, I think he knew that 
he, you know, going up to a club like Tottenham, he couldn't do that. So we didn't get the back three. We got a kind of, we got a sort of 4-2-3, sorry, 4-2-3-1 at times, 4-3-3 in other games. And, you know, he had this kind of midfield where he'd have Dele and Ndombele pushed up, leaving Hoiberg very abandoned uh, in the the number six position. And so it was kind of neither one thing nor the other. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it wasn't actually, it wasn't classic Nuno ball. But it also wasn't progressive attacking football that dominated he possession. He was neither true to himself nor to Spurs and their traditions. That's why. That's yeah. why it's never never going to work, and that's why it's such a nonsensical appointment in the first place, and and, and nonsensical for him to take it on purely on a football level. Although obviously, you know, we understand why he would he would take that job. He's got an ego like everybody else. Um, but yeah. Again, it just shows why it was never going to work. Tim, this is your your first North London derby. I think how yes. much are you looking forward to it? Do you know, Danny, I haven't been to a derby, a proper derby, full stop in 10 years because uh, exclusively sort of covering and, and watching Wolves, they haven't played West Brom in front of fans since 2012. We had those pandemic games, which were just ridiculous and just weren't proper derbies because it's, it's not a derby if there are no supporters in the stadium. So, yeah, um, it's my it's my first derby, full stop, in 10 years. First ever North London derby. I don't, I'm not a fan of early kickoffs. I'm sure none of us are, but um, expecting a, a fantastic atmosphere. I don't know where I'm going to be watching it yet, but, yeah, very much looking forward to it. Yeah, a fantastic atmosphere. Um, Jack, am I wrong to say the North London Derby slightly poisonous atmosphere? Yeah, it's very tense. It's very, very tense. Um, yeah, people, people like me with their families split across the two clubs. It's just an impossible fixture. Yeah, I actually think this. Yeah, in it, it being the the kind of lunch lunchtime kickoff will actually, I think, make it kind of weirder and less even. You know, because people won't be able to. It's not like people have spent the day kind of relax. You know, I mean, relaxing is the wrong word. Drinking. But, you know, it's not like people have spent drinking. the day drinking yeah. in the pub. <laughs> they will just be there. It'll just be pure nervous energy with no with no kind of or with not you know not as much uh, you know pre game alcohol mixed in as well. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be odd and tense. Um, and also, also, you know, I'm sure we'll do this again in Thursday's pod, but Tottenham have an awful record in this game. They They've won absolute... one league game at the Emirates, the Kabul header game in 2010. 2010, 2-0 down, yeah. 3-2 up, Kabul's header under Harry, I think. Um, yeah, and then one the... league cup game, but only once in the yeah. Premier League at the Emirates in 16 no, well, years. That's but awful. Tim, but Tim, at least it's... Tra- well, you say it's awful, and yet... You it know, is awful. For, yeah, no, of course it's awful. Sorry for if I've said this before on the podcast. When Martin Yol first got the job at Spurs, they were in the middle of that astonishing run where they didn't beat Arsenal or Chelsea um, for like a decade. Um, and I remember uh, the, the national broadcaster being kind enough to let me. I spent a day with Martin uh, at then Spurs training ground, and I mentioned this to him when the players had gone home and he was having a, a crafty fag. Um, I said, you know, first thing you got to do, Martin, because he just barely got the job is um, you've got to start winning these local derbies or at least not just turning up and losing. And he said to me, that's got nothing to do with me. That's the past. And I thought, hmm, you'll, you, you'll, you'll be amazed at how, how unpopular that view might be with actual Spurs fans. These games are important. Um, and you're right. But what's happened, Tim, again, I'm going to help you with your intro here, um, is that when Arsene Wenger was in charge of Arsenal, until he started to fade slightly and the Pochettino came in, uh, essentially, Arsenal won every game. I think Spurs went 25, some mad figure without winning the North London derby. It was infuriating. Um, since since the changeover and the more even balance between the two clubs, the home team wins the game. 
The very, very few away wins. Spurs, as, as Jack pointed out, haven't won there for 12 years. Arsenal last won at, at Spurs eight years ago. Um, now, I, I don't want to be, you know, talking myself out of the game here. And these, these runs are always there to be broken. But the home team has done tremendously well over the last, um, most of the last decade or so. Um, I, I should also make a point that there's so much going on with this game. Um, if Spurs were to win, it'll be the first time uh, in the history of the top flight that either side has beaten the other to replace at the top of the table. Something's got to give between Arsenal being top and Spurs being unbeaten, unless it's a draw. Um, the home form, as Jack was pointing out so correctly, Arsenal have lost one of the last 29 North London derbies in the league. Uh, Spurs last one with that Kabul header in 2010. Um, Son's an interesting one here. He didn't score or assist in his first nine Premier League games against Arsenal. Um, he's gone now got six uh, assists and goals in his last five against the Gunners. Um, but these are not really at the Emirates. These are mostly at Spurs. He did get the consolation goal in that disaster uh, last season. We'll do a much more in-depth and intense preview of the game on the next podcast. But uh, right now, Jack, I'm going to uh, question yourself, you and Tim, um, make a case for Spurs winning the game. Well, they were they won very well the last time the two teams played at the end of last season, at, obviously at Tottenham. They have much, I think there's much more big game experience in this Tottenham team. Uh, you know, there's much more ex big game experience than the Tottenham bench, you know, the, the, not least in the form of the manager. Uh you know, I'm not going to pretend that I think Tottenham are playing that well at the moment. because no, they haven't. Not. But I think their, their current style of play, which is, you know, what you might call possession efficient, uh, sit back, wait for the opposition to commit themselves at the pitch, you know, spring. And obviously Conte wouldn't call it a counter-attack, but attack quickly into the space that is open behind the opposition team should be perfect for a team that play, that play, play like Arsenal. You know, I can't say... Often I think sometimes I kind of overrate Tottenham's chances going into this game. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't describe no. myself as being bullish about Tottenham this time, but I think that it could go their way for those reasons. Well, you know what, I'll get a prediction, prop prediction with you in the next podcast. I just wanted to, uh, we're just sketching out here. And Tim, you bring a, fr you bring a fresh eye to the, to both the game uh, and to this team. Um, so I mean, let's be fair. Spurs are taking on the the top, the best team in the, in the country on current form. That's how leagues tables work. Can you make a case for them coming away, not just unscathed, but with victory um, from the other end of the Seven Sisters Road? The contrast is so interesting because Arsenal have pretty much played well or very well in every match they played so far this season. Even even in defeat at Man United, that they gave a pretty decent performance. Whereas Spurs, on the whole, have played. A low par in pretty much every game. This is um, not helping it, me at all, Tim. <laughs> but, but, Danny, I feel like I feel like Tottenham's weaknesses this season, a lot of which are to do with uh, building up from midfield and controlling games and overloading opposition. I don't think that stops them going there to win this particular match. To be honest, um, they're not conceding a huge amount of, of of chances to the opposition. They look better on the break. Uh, Son back in back in form just at the right time. Um, you know, for all Arsenal's good play and good results, they're only one point ahead of Tottenham in the table and Spurs have got a better goal difference. Um, I just walked past a Spurs fan in the office who said that the ideal slash funniest uh, situation for Saturday is to Spurs to play badly and win, which I don't think is is beyond the realms of possibility. I think they can go there and get a result. 
I'd be pretty confident in them getting a result. Yes, don't forget, last year they played badly and got whacked. A different team, different manager, <laughs> different times. Of course, they were. Uh, all I will say about my own preparations for the game is that when I was a, a very uh, young chap, my dad, who was a deeply religious man, um, found out that I used to pray for Spurs to win football matches. And he made me, I made me promise him, and we were very close, he made me promise him I would pray for many, many things if I, in my praying days, but not for the results of football matches. So now I'm trying to hope that Spurs win rather than pray. Listen, you two, it's been a blast. Thank you very, very much indeed. Um, some combination of the three of us, um, possibly James Moore, will be back um, in a few days' time to give a proper in-depth preview to that North London derby. By then, we should know more about Christian Romero um, and Hugo Lloris, though Arsenal have their own um, injury worries as well. Tierney, Partey, I think, are both doubtful for the game. Um, thank you all for listening as well. And let me remind you, as I always do, if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, remember you can sign up to read all of the brilliant Spurs coverage this season, as well as everything else that's on the site, which is a mountain of stuff. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again in a couple of days' time. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.